Welcome everyone, Moadim Lesimcha. Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi to vote one week at a time. Uh, this is our 14th lesson, uh, and today we are going to be reviewing Daf 93 to 98. Uh, I hope everyone is having a wonderful Sukkot, uh, and it's really so nice uh, to be able to share some Torah. Uh, so let's do uh, Daf 93. Uh, we have the Mishnah, and the Mishnah tells us that a man was married to three to three women, uh, and he died. Uh, and the value of each one of their two vote was a hundred, two hundred, and three hundred. Right. So uh, now we're going to talk about. Uh, how we split up the property, right? So he dies, uh, they each get their ketuvah, um, but each one has a different value for her ketuvah. Uh, and it seems that he only leaves a hundred zoos. So, right, what do we do with the money? So the Mishnah tells us that if he left only a hundred, they divide it evenly, right? Because the lowest number is a hundred. Uh, so everyone gets, uh, right, 33 and a third. Uh, what happens if he leaves 200? Uh, so then the first one gets 50, and then the second and the third get 75 each. The Gemara is going to explain why everybody gets what they get. Um, if he left 300, the first one again gets 50, and the next two get uh, 100. Um, ah, sorry. Uh, if it's 300, the first one gets two gets 50 the second one gets 100 and the third one gets 150 right so they're each getting half of what they were supposed to get 100 200 300 so 50 100 and 150 uh, and the mishnah ends by saying so too in a business deal right so if you have partners that invest in a business deal and everyone puts in a certain uh, percentage or a certain amount uh, so at the end you divide it based on what you put in right the percentage of what you put in um, so now the gemara explains uh, why does the first one right right we said the first one gets 50. Um, why is that the case? So um, the Gemara explains that number two wife removes herself from the argument and she says, you know, I'm not getting involved. Um, and therefore, um, this is for the second case. Uh, and therefore, um, right, number one and three divide the hundred. So right, one and three each get 50. Um, and then two and three need to divide what's left again there's 150 left um and um then they divide that uh and that's how everybody right they get 75 uh and uh the first one stays with their 50. um it that was in the case of the 200. in the case of the 300 again number one gets 50 right number three says i'm not getting involved so number one and two divide the first hundred, again, 50-50. And then number two and three divide the next hundred. Uh, and that's why, right, um, the first one got 50. The second one got 100. And then the third one gets the rest, which is 150. Um, okay, right. Or maybe the case is that the husband left 75. And then another 125 came afterwards. So then they split the 75 equally, 
and then they take the 125 uh, and then they divide that again. Um, so that's another option, right? Another case is he gets, again, he leaves 75, which they're going to split equally, and then another 225. Again, remember we said if he leaves 300, instead of looking at it as 300, break it up into 75 and then 225. Uh, and therefore, again, uh, they each split it up. Uh, or uh, the last option is that they always split um, they always split whatever money is left equally uh, amongst the three wives. Uh, now we're going to talk about uh, investing in, uh, you know, business. So the Gemara tells us that two people invest unequally uh, in an ox to plow, right? So it's not like a, a company, rather it's an actual animal that's going to plow a field. So they divide the profits of the plowing equally, right? Because they came in together to build to buy this ox even though one put in more money than the other the ox itself is doing the same work uh, and therefore they they split the profits equally but if they sell it right if they let's say bought an ox together and then they sell it to slaughter uh, so then each person gets his percentage, uh, right? Because you can say you take the, you know, a third of the meat and, and I'll take the, uh, you know, two thirds uh, and you can divide it up. Or again, another option is that they still split it equally. Um, what if, again, two people uh, each bought an ox and then they hitch them together and now they're working together um, again? Each person gets a percentage of the profit based on the investment that they put in in the beginning. Um, what happens if they invested old coins and then they ended up with new coins? Uh, so again, there wasn't really a profit, but the coin itself was different. So then again, everyone gets a percentage of what they put in in the first place. Okay, next Mishnah on 93. Um, a man is now married to four wives, uh, and then he died. Um, the first one collects first, then the second, second, and then each one needs to swear to the other ones that they're taking exactly what they were owed. Uh, but the fourth one doesn't need to swear uh, to anyone because she's the last, or maybe another opinion is that she does need to take an oath. Um, this is again if there's enough money to go around for everyone if they all got married on the same day so then ah, so the previous part of the mishnah is talking about um again the first wife takes first the second wife takes second because in general uh when someone marries four different women right it's over a course of time uh, therefore the first gets first and the second gets second however what if they all got married on the same day uh, one option is we take based on the hours, right? The first, the person who had the first chuppah in the morning, she gets to collect first. Um, and if they got married all at the same time, uh, so again, now you're going to divide it equally among all four women. Okay, the Gemara on the top of 94 tells us that um, if, let's say, um, they took land, and then um, if, so if number one took land and then number four took and number one's land 
was seized by a creditor. Remember, we talked about if the husband owed money, the creditor can come and seize the land. So let's say he took it from number one. So the question the Gemara asks is, now can number one wife, right, take the land from number four, right? Because again, number one wife took land and now it gets taken away. So she lost it. Can she go to number four and say, hey, my turn, let me take some of that land. Um, so there's a machloket. Um, if, again, number four took it out of turn, uh, if number one can go and take the land back from wife number four. Um, or if that's the case, maybe we'll say, uh, you know, maybe number four will say, uh, you know, I'm not going to take care of this land because number one wife can always come and take it for me. So I'm going to just let the field get ruined and I'm not going to take care of it. Uh, so in that case, maybe we would say that number one wife cannot take the land from number four wife. Um, okay. Uh, however, right, we talked about the creditor coming to take land. If the creditor comes, he needs to swear to the orphans, even if they're adults, if he wants to take the land from him. Again, he has to swear that he is uh, taking what is owed to him. Uh, and therefore, uh, number four wife, when she takes land from the orphans, she also needs to swear because she's like a creditor. Um, and a another uh, idea um, is that all the brothers, right, the heirs or partners in a, in a, in a, in a partnership um, are agents for one, one another if there is a court case, right? So if there's a court case, not all the brothers, right? They don't all need to show up to court. Uh, they also don't all need um, to, right? Not all the partners need to come. So only if one shows up, that's okay. It's as if all of the other wives were there. Uh, therefore, when one wife swears to another, uh, she does not have to do it in front of everybody. She can do it in front of one of the wives, and she's seen as a representative to the other wives. Um, okay, since we're talking about seizing land and it being on the same day, so the Gemara talks about a sale document or a document of sale. What if we have two of them from the same day? So now who gets the land? Um, so one option is that they split it because, again, uh, they were both were sold at the same time. Or it's um, under the discretion of the judges, right? Shuta dedaine, which means the, the judges, right, you go to court and the judges rule based on what they feel is the appropriate ruling. Um, so uh, why do we say, again, we want to know who... Um, who gets the land first? One option is that we go according to the witnesses that signed on the document. Uh, therefore, when the witnesses signed on two documents from the same day, we say that they should split it. Or do we say that we go according to what the judges say um, because we go according to when the document was actually handed over and not when the document was signed? Uh, and therefore, the court can determine what that would be, and then they can decide who gets the land first. Um, okay, 
what happens, and now we're going to talk about sales, uh, uh, sales of land and their documents, and um, we'll see what happens, right? So uh, Ruvain wrote a sale document to Shimon, right? I'm going to sell you, sell you this plot of land. Uh, but then he gave it to Levi. So now who gets the land, right? Do we go according to the document? The sale document says Reuven is selling to Shimon. Or um, do we go to according to whoever Reuven actually gave the document to? Um, Another question, uh, that's a machloket. Basically, one says one opinion is Shimon and one opinion is Levi. Um, what happens if a person sends money, right? A person sends money to Shimon and then Shimon died and then Reuven died, right? So does the money belong to Shimon's heirs because he sent it to Shimon, even though Shimon never acquired it? Or does it go back to Ruvain's heirs because there is no Shimon anymore? So does it go back to Ruvain's heirs? Um, one option is that they split the money, right? Because again, we can't ask Ruvain, you know, is it okay if we give Shimon sons? So they're going to split the money. Or again, uh, it is up to the discretion of the court to try to figure out who uh, Ruvain would want uh, the money to go to. Um, what about a mother? Here's a case. Uh, a mother wrote all her money uh, to one of her children in the morning and then to another son in the afternoon. So if the hour was written on the document, so the first one gets it because she wrote it first. If there is no um, time written on the document, so then they're going to split it. Or again, up to the discretion of the judges to determine who she really meant to give it to. Um, what happens if we have one document that says, you know, again, Reuven sold this field to Shimon on the 5th of Nisan. Then we have a second document that says that uh, Reuven sold the same field uh, to Shimon in or to Levi maybe, in Nissan, but there's no date, right? It has the month, but not the date. So what happens? So we say, uh, let's give it to the fifth of Nissan person because maybe the other date is later in Nissan. Or, right, because again, it could have meant the 29th of Nissan, um, right? And basically the second guy is stuck or the second guy can collect from any property that was sold after the 29th of Nissan. So he can now go and collect, excuse me, um, any, uh, he can go and collect any land that was sold after that date. Okay, let's go to the Mishnah on Duff 95. Um, the Mishnah says that a man was married to two women. And he sold a field that was a lien, that was like the guarantee um, to both of the to vote. Um, the first wife writes to the buyer, I won't take this field from you. Um, right? I don't have I don't have anything to do with you. Um, so then the second wife can go and take it. Um, okay. So now what if the and ah, so now the the second wife takes it, then the first wife can go to the second wife and say, hey, 
um, you know, I got married first, so I'm taking the land from you. And then, um, one second, um, then the buyer who bought the land can go to the first wife and say, hey, what are you doing with that land? I bought that land, and he can take it back. Uh, and then it goes on and on uh, in a circle. So this is, uh, this is an issue. Um, and the Mishnah ends by saying, so too with creditors. It doesn't only have to be with wives. It could be with anybody that the husband owes money to. Um, so this is called din uh, udvarim, right? The, the person says, um, right, din means like any court case. And dvarim means any words, right? I don't have any of these things with you, meaning I don't want to fight with you, so you take the land. Um, so the Gemara says that saying this line of din udvarim doesn't work with partners. It does work with the creditor and the wife, um, but not with, but not with um, partners. Right? It must be that he bought it with her permission, meaning when the person bought the land, it must be that um, the wife gave permission for him to buy that land. If not, she can say, oh, why did I say that I'm not going to get involved with you? Because my husband made me do it, right? I, I didn't want to get involved, um, but I just needed to please my husband. Uh, and therefore, uh, that's why I said, right, that's why I signed off on this, on this uh, purchase, but really I didn't mean to do it. Um, okay. The Gemara continues that a creditor can't collect from property that was sold if there are available properties in the estate, right? So we've been talking about seizing land. So the Gemara says you can't seize land if there's other land that's free uh, that the orphans own, right? Even if it's a lower quality, uh, only if there's nothing available can, sorry, can the creditor um, seize the property. Um, so let's say, again, when the person bought the first field, um, he left other fields there uh, with the seller, right? And therefore he said, right, I'm buying this property, but I see that he has a lot more property for the ketubah. Um, therefore, um, I'm going to, right, I'm going to buy this property. And whatever lien was on the first property, it gets transferred to the, the, the second property. Uh, therefore, Right, a creditor can't take from that first field and has to take it from the second field. But if that second field was ruined, then he can go and take it. Um, if the buyer knew that the field, um, that the second field would get old and ruined, uh, so then he will lose his field when he, uh, after he buys it. Um, what if a man tells an unmarried woman, right, my property is going to go to you, and then after you, it's going to go to somebody else. Uh, and then she goes and she marries another person, and then she dies. So the husband who, right, of this woman, he gets the property, and it's as if he bought it. And the man who is supposed to get it after her, right, doesn't get it because uh, the husband now trumps the other guy. So therefore, when the original guy dies, 
the woman inherits it, and then the husband of that woman inherits it, and it stops there. It doesn't go to the other person that the deceased wanted it to go to. Um, excuse me. Um, okay. What if we have the same case, but um, she sells the property that she inherits, and then she gets married, and then she dies. So now the husband can seize that property because he can say, oh, you know what? That really belonged to me, meaning my wife. Um, and the guy who is supposed to get it can now come to the husband and say, listen, I was supposed to get it after your wife. So you have no, no rights to it. So I get it now. Um, and he right, is the only one. Uh, um, ah, so, uh, and now, uh, ah, the person who bought it can now come and seize the property because he can say, listen, both of you, uh, I'm the only one who actually paid for this land. Therefore, I get the land and you do not. Um, in the first case that we mentioned, she got the property when she was single, and then she gets married, um, and therefore the husband acquires it. In the other case, she got the money, let's say, when she was married, and then the original man can say, I don't want the husband to get it. Excuse me. I don't want the husband to get it, and therefore, right, I want the money to go after the woman. I want it to go to this other person and not her husband. Uh, and with that, we finish the 10th chapter of Masechek uh, Tuvot, and we are going to continue. Um, the next Mishnah at the bottom of 95 tells us that a widow is supported by the orphans, and they get her earnings, right? Just like the wife is supported by the husband and he gets her earnings, so too if he dies, the widow is supported and they get her earnings. Um, and her heirs bury her uh, and they get her ktuva, right? Meaning not the, the man's heirs, but the woman's heirs, right? Again, if they were married beforehand. Okay, the Gemara says that in the Galil, right in the north of Israel, the orphans had to support her. But in Yehuda, they actually didn't have to. Um, they could decide if they wanted to or not. Uh, and there's a makhluket, what the law actually is. Uh, Daf 96 tells us that actually the widow gets to keep all of her earnings. Um, maybe then the orphans don't need to support her, um, but we're not sure if that is the case. Um, the widow has to do all the tasks in the house that she did for her husband. She has to do them for the orphans, right? Again, the heirs are taking over for the husband, uh, and therefore she needs to keep the house, uh, especially if she's being supported by them, except for the three acts that we said were quite intimate, and therefore she does not have to do it for them. Uh, these were, right, serving the wine, uh, like turning down the bed, and washing his hands and feet. So they do not, uh, they do not have to, um, they do not have to, um, 
she does not have to do this for the orphans. Um, okay, I see uh, Lizette asked, right, that we have 100 and 200, but how does 300 come about? Excellent question. If you remember, we said that um, the husband can always add to the ketuva. So the first two got, let's say, you know, what they got minimum. Uh, the third wife got a bonus. Uh, so he was able to add to her ketuvah. Excellent question. Okay, let's continue on Daf 96. Um, we said that the the widow has to do certain acts, right, to keep the house for the orphans. So too, um, just like a servant needs to do certain things for his master, so too a student needs to do it for his rabbi, right? So we see this relationship of acts of service done for people that we respect um and it seems the only thing he doesn't have to do is tie his shoes that's seen as a little bit disrespectful um so he does not have to tie his suit his shoes um okay let's go back to the widow if the widow grabs movable objects right which are called metaltaline which means they are movable um right so if the widow grabs these movable objects for her sustenance, for her support, so she can keep it. That works. Um, but not for her ktuva. For her ktuva, she only takes it from land, not from the candlesticks or the china or the fur in the closet. She only takes it from land. But, says the Gemara, maybe if she does seize it, then she actually can keep it. Um, what if a woman waited two or three years before asking for support. Um, so the Gemara tells us she can't get it anymore, meaning she had her time, and if she was okay for two, three years, it means she's okay to support herself. Therefore, she forfeited her rights to being supported. Or maybe what the Gemara means is um, she can't get back pay, but from now on, she can be supported. Um, Let's say the orphans say that they gave her money for support, and she says that they didn't. So who needs to bring the proof? Remember we said in the court, somebody needs to come and bring proof. Who is it? The, the, the wife, meaning the, the widow, or the orphan? So if the widow hasn't remarried, then the orphans need to bring proof that they did not support her, uh, that they did support her. And if they can't, then they need to continue supporting her. And if she got remarried, then she needs to bring the proof, right? Because she has more um, uh, state, you know, she uh, has more status. Uh, and maybe that's why she would need to bring proof in that situation. Um, there's a machloket whose possession uh, the estate is in. Is it in the widow's possession or in the orphan's possessions? So that seems to be the uh, machloket. What if a woman sells the property? So then she needs to write on it, I sold this property for my support, for mizonot, or for my ktuva. Uh, or maybe she doesn't need to specify, right? She can do whatever she wants, uh, right? She has that right. Uh, Daf 97, 
um, she can actually sell property. How does it work, right? How does she sell property? So she can sell property once every 12 months. And then the buyer, instead of giving her 30,000 shekel for the sale, he actually gives her a, a monthly stipend, like he pays her back in monthly installments um, because the issue is that if she gets married in the meantime that money goes to the orphans and not to her so we want to create a, a balance where we know that she's being supported but on the other hand if she gets married we don't want her to have thirty thousand extra dollars in her account that really should be going to the orphans um, Okay, or another option is she sells it every 12 months uh, instead of every, uh, sorry, she sells it every six months instead of every 12, uh, and that is the law. She sells property every six months, and again, every month she gets money from the buyer. Um, if she sold the property, she can actually go back and seize it for her ktuva, right? She sells it to make money to support herself. But now let's say she decides she's going to leave this family and she wants her ktuva. She can now go back to that person and seize the land. Um, but that's only if she left some of the property in the estate. Um, but if not, then she cannot. Um, if a person sold land because uh, he needed money, right? It's important to understand that in an agricultural society, uh, most people are not selling their land unless they really need to. So let's say they needed to sell the land because they needed to buy something. Uh, and then it turns out that they didn't need the money in the end. Uh, the Gemara asks, um, can, is the sale void, right? Because the reason for the sale doesn't exist anymore. So is the sale voided? Uh, and the Gemara says, no, um, if it was a mistaken sale, so then it is voided. But if not, right, if you meant to sell it wh when you sold it, so then that is, uh, that is the end. Okay, next Mishnah on Daf 97. Um, a widow can sell property without permission from the court, uh, right? The, the, the husband left property, she's allowed to go and sell it. Or, says the Mishnah, maybe only if the widow is a widow for a marriage, but not if they were only engaged and not married, because if they were only engaged, when he dies, the husband dies, she does not need to be supported by the estate. Uh, and therefore, since she's not getting support, then she um, doesn't need money right away. Uh, and therefore, she can go to court and the court will decide when she can sell property. Um, the Gemara explains, uh, this is again, uh, we want to make sure that women will get married. And if they see that it's going to be super complicated for them to get uh, support if their husband dies, maybe they're not going to want to get married. Or another reason is maybe the husband doesn't want his wife to go to court, right? It's very embarrassing. Um, and therefore, he doesn't want her to go to court. Um, a divorced woman can only sell her pro the property in court. Um, so that is important to understand uh, that the, this case as well is for her heirs. 
uh, as well, right? If she dies and her children need to go, um, then it is the same case as well. Okay, next Mishnah. If she, if she sold land for a part of her ketuva, or she gave it as a collateral, or she gave it as a gift, then she can only sell the rest of the land in court, right? We want to make sure that uh, everything is above board. Therefore, she can only do it in court. Or another opinion in the Mishnah says, no, she can sell the land a few times and it doesn't matter. Um, and if she does do this, she has to write, I sold this property for support, for mizonot. Um, however, a divorcee uh, can only sell property in the court, not on her own. Um, the Gemara explains that if she gets her ketuva, so then she doesn't get support anymore. Um, and if she gets partial ketuva, there's a machloket, excuse me, there's a machloket if she gets her mizonot or not. Um, okay, Daf 98. There's a story of a woman who took a silver cup as part of her ketuva, um, and it says that she still was supported by the estate. Um, let's say she sold land for her ketuva without permission from the court. So does she now need to take an oath that she did everything properly, um, right? She needs to make the sale public, and if she did not make that sale public, then maybe it is not a valid sale. Um, the Gemara says on 98 also that she cannot assess the value of the property on her own, right? She needs to bring people in for them to assess the value of the property. And she does need to take an oath, but she doesn't need to publicize the sale if she doesn't want to. Okay, the last Mishnah for today, uh, we're going to have three cases. Um, okay, case number one, a woman had uh, a ketuva of 100, of, sorry, of 200, and her husband died. So she sold land that was valued at 100, but she sold it for 200, right? Or the opposite, it was valued for 200, and she sold it on eBay for 100. So the Mishnah says, again, she's owed 200. So what happens in this case? Um, the Mishnah says that that counts as her ketuva, meaning she's not a very good saleswoman, or she should have been a little bit more careful. And right again, if she took it and sold something that was, um, she sold it valued, it was valued at 100, she sold it at 200, great, she made money. And the opposite, right, she lost money, she still, that's it for her ketuva. That's case number one. Case number two, um, she had a ketuva of 100, and she sold a field worth 100 plus one dinar, meaning it's it's um, value was a little bit more than 100, and she sells it for 100. So this sale is invalid. Or Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel says, no, 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 it's valid. And if she leaves over a large enough piece of the field, so then it becomes invalid, right? Depending on how the sale was done. Okay, third case, she had a ketuva of 400. Again, 
This is with the Tosefet. He wrote uh, what he wanted to write. Um, so she had a ketuba of 400, and she sold four fields for 100, right? One field for 100, another field for 100. But the last one was valued at 100 plus, right? And then she sold that for 100. So the last sale is invalid, but all the other sales are valid. Um, okay, so the Gemara explains that all the gains go to the person who owns the money or who's getting the money. So let's say she sold the value of 100 to 200. So the extra goes to the orphans and then they say, take the money for your ktuva. Right, so she can't go and sell another field, right? She can't say, I took a field for 100. I was a good business person. I got 200, but uh, I only took a field that was worth 100. I want to take another field. So the Gemara says that that does not work. Um, okay, let's talk about messengers, right? If a messenger sells property, right? Someone says, take this property and go sell it for me. Um, maybe... Uh, let's say he gets extra money, right? He's, again, the messenger, the shaliach, is a good business person. Um, maybe the shaliach, the messenger, can keep the extra money. Uh, so the, the Gemara explains, if it had a set price, so now it's a machloket. Maybe they split the extra, right? The, the messenger and the owner who sent the messenger. If it's not a set price, so then it goes to the, whatever's extra goes to the owner. Um, the owner, let's say, asked the messenger to sell something and he sold double, right? Meaning he said, uh, sell this small piece of land and by accident or on purpose, I don't know, the messenger sells double the amount of land. Uh, again, this is not value. This is actual land. He sells double. Is half, um, right? Is the first half a valid sale, right? Because he did sell what he wanted him to, just he sold more. Or is the whole sale invalid? Um, so it, it seems that it depends how he phrased it. Um, and uh, it seems that uh, there's another case that's brought with me'ila, right? If you remember, me'ila means uh, to um, misuse consecrated property. Um, so uh, the Gemara gives us a story of a person who has guests and he says, oh, here, take a piece of cake. Uh, and then the messenger says, you know what, take two pieces of cake. And then the people end up taking three pieces of cake. So the Gemara says, right, and let's say it turns out, oh no, all three pieces of cake were really consecrated. They're hectish. What happens? So the Gemara says all the people transgressed uh, the commandment of Mi'ilah, meaning because um, everybody misused the consecrated item. So it shows that each person is adding to the original one, right? It doesn't invalidate the original statement. Rather, it just adds to the statement. Uh, and with that, uh, we finish our daf for today. It was a little bit shorter because 
Uh, we actually, the last time we had class was last Thursday. Um, this week, I don't even know what day it is. Today is, I think, Wednesday. Um, so we're going to have class again on next Thursday. So it's going to be a little bit of a longer class. Um, so uh, I will send out an email, but um, we will be having class next Thursday. Uh, and with that, I wish everyone a moadim lesimcha, a chag sameach, and wishing everyone a wonderful uh, Sukkot. I hope you are having a wonderful uh, festival and uh, looking forward to seeing you next week after Simcha Torah. So I hope uh, if any of you have uh, Gemaras, or, uh, you know, the books that you've been studying with, you can dance with them on Simchat Torah uh, because you have all really uh, taken a part uh, of learning the Torah uh, and more than the Torah, the Gemara. Uh, so really, kol kavod everyone uh, and wishing everyone a wonderful holiday and see you next week. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.